is an incredible opportunity to focus on Jesus. You ever thought that? I think I started this series by saying, what would it be like if some things didn't exist and Christmas was one of them? I think we just focus less on Christ. And it's just an incredible time for that to happen, for us to think and to recognize and to understand and as a result to worship. So uh, again, we're doing that. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope it's impacting your life and blessing you. Let me pray and then we'll jump in. Gracious God, we thank you that you love us. Every single person here, God, we know you deeply love, you care for. Your eye is upon us, Lord. And in this season, we recognize the coming of Jesus uh, to make this world new, but Lord, also to make us new, to draw us into that life with God that is revolutionary, even radical at times, but a life that is good and a life that is right with Jesus as Lord. So God, as we turn to your word again and we consider the reality of why Jesus came, uh, we pray. Father, I pray that every single person here would be touched deeply by your spirit and that we would know that we have heard from the living God today. Lord, this we ask in Christ's name. Well, I'm wondering um, with Christmas just days away, I mean, technically including today, we've got 10 days, I believe, to go. Uh, what do you intend for these next days? Uh, grimacing happening on some faces. Um, I, I have a bit of a, 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 a suggestion, probably uh, fun, food, family, and fantastic gifts. Who can celebrate that possibility? But that's probably what's in the minds of a lot of people. Um, we're going to get together and we're going to eat lots and we're going to um, just enjoy that season. But probably our intention for the season produces priorities which will produce how we experience Christmas, right? And if we're really about fun, food, family, and fantastic gifts, we're probably going to spend a lot of time cooking and baking and decorating and entertaining and buying gifts and wrapping gifts and traveling to where our, fun, uh, where our family and our friends might be. And I think that's maybe where the grimace came from. Um, and I want to suggest that we think, again, pretty st stringently about what we really want, might want to in intend over these next days. Because ultimately my thought, and I hope you can embrace this and, and, and recognize that God wants to bless us in this season. He always wants to bless us because he loves us. Uh, he just does. And he wants us to know goodness and, and light in life. So we come back to this question, why did Jesus uh, come? Last week we began the series, and it was, and, and I know it's different in terms of a Christmas focus, uh, but he came to destroy the work of the devil, so First John chapter 3 says, to destroy the work of the devil in you and in me and in this world of ours. He came as a, an invading power. He came in weakness, but it was the power of God in him because God came, the Son of God came that day in Bethlehem. And that's, a, that's a, a dramatic sort of thing to process and to contemplate. He came to destroy the work of the devil in me, the consequence of what the devil has done in this world, what he's done to my soul. And I hope uh, last week helped in your recognition of that and maybe even in this season a little more destruction might take place. I'm going to look at a passage again um, 
a little bit different, but it, it certainly identifies from Jesus' own lips in his mind why he came, what his role was in coming. And we're going to look at uh, kind of the famous passage in chapter 4 uh, in a minute. The context is this. Jesus is in his hometown. You know, he is, is in Nazareth. He grew up in that place. And um, it's the Sabbath day. And it says, as was his custom. And that just jumped off the page to me as I read it again this morning. As was the custom of Jesus, he went to the synagogue. He worshipped on a weekly basis. Synagogues were formed when 10 Jewish men uh, gathered. It had to be a minimum of that. I believe it's still the same today, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, these people and uh, Jewish people in, in our world, they can't easily get to Jerusalem to worship, so they form synagogues. And the leader of the synagogue would normally re uh, read a passage of Scripture. They would read through the entire Old Testament in, in three years, and then they'd start over. And the leader of the synagogue would preach on the passage that was uh, intended for that day. Uh, but on this occasion, they had a guest speaker. You know, we have guest speakers here sometimes. And Jesus was the guest speaker. Wouldn't that be cool, huh? Try to line it up for the next time I'm on holidays. <laughs> um, he had just been baptized, Luke chapter 3. The Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Powerful moment in his life, a moment of preparation for what he was about to begin, his ministry. Then he had gone straight into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit of God led him there, it says, beginning of chapter 4. And he overcame the temptation of the devil. There's kind of a visible symbol of the power of God in Christ overcoming the power of evil. Evil wanted to thwart his ministry, cut him off at the knees, but it, it failed. He failed. Um, and coming straight out of that experience, we, we come into this, this passage of uh, Luke 4, 14 to 21, which I'm going to read to you now, um, in which Jesus quotes Isaiah 61. <clears throat> You'll see the quote. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I want you to focus on it because that's mostly where we'll focus today. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Remember, the power of the Spirit had come upon him. The news about him had spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. <clears throat> now that might be a really familiar passage to you. You may have never heard it before. But essentially what's going on is Jesus saying, I have been anointed by God. I am the anointed one, which means Messiah, or in Greek, Christ. He's saying, I am the Messiah. I am the one that Isaiah was talking about. I don't know if you'd ever say that, but he did. And he was making a point, <laughs> and he was clarifying why this anointing had taken place. He was clarifying, essentially, why he had come into the world. And, and I'm going to describe the, the various steps that he moved through in his description of why he had come. Number one, he said that he came to preach good news to the poor. 
You know, this, this message that he was go going to come and, and speak, he was a preacher, by the way. I don't know, but sometimes people don't always get that, but he was a preacher. And he had this passion in his heart to spread this good news. We call it gospel. Uh, but essentially, what he was to say to the poor would have just blown their minds. It was an incredibly good message, a good message, something that they would have been absolutely thrilled to hear. Question becomes, who are the poor? Well, obviously, people without money. I mean, poor is poor, right? And God has in his heart just a deep passion and compassion for people who are poor, who are struggling and who are hurting, who are living in poverty. That's why Jason described our 20-plus year ministry in Nicaragua. People there, dirt poor, that means in my head, because I've been there several times, they live in, uh, in, in houses with dirt floors. Um, you know, that's why we do our downtown ministry, because what we've learned is that all the poor from Oxford County, the really poor kind of head down there, and that's where they live uh, with addiction and sometimes homeless. Uh, it, homelessness is their condition and so forth. There are people who are struggling there, and we're, we're at it. And that blesses the heart of God. That's an incredibly important thing. But in the Bible, it's important to realize, especially in, in Luke, this, this gospel of Luke, that the, the idea of, of poor does not... Uh, get limited simply to the financially poor. It includes them, but it's not limited to those folks. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 3, Jesus is speaking the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a pretty powerful statement from God. If you're poor in spirit, you have the kingdom of heaven, right? And, and, and you know, there are people who are poor financially. There are people who live financially or, or physically in poverty, but there are also people who live in spiritual poverty whose needs are really significant because they lack so much. If you would, they are dirt poor when it comes to a knowledge of God and an understanding of faith and a relationship with Him. And these are the people that Jesus is speaking to. Think about the rich young ruler. He had tons of money, but spiritually he was bankrupt. Um, he, he had nothing in terms of the spiritual life. And, you know, quite frankly, there's still a lot of people in our world who have a lot of money in the bank, but they're spiritually bankrupt. They lack tremendously what they need. The question, of course, for that rich young ruler was, will I recognize my spiritual poverty and will I do something about it? Well, of course, he couldn't. If you know that story, he walked away from Jesus' said because he wasn't willing to do that. But it's incredibly significant when we think about Jesus coming with his good news for the poor. It's incredibly significant that when the Son of Man came to the earth, he came to poor people. You realize that, don't you? And that's not us generally. So we need to sit back and think about it and recognize it. He came to Israel, and, and for the most part, those people were dirt poor also because they were under the hand of a, a dominating power in Rome, and, and they were taxed to the hilt, and unless you were in league with the Romans, you were poor. And most people were poor. You know, think, think about the, 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 the uh, Christmas story itself. You know, Mary and Joseph, what did they have? Nothing. <laughs> they were poor. You know, if you think about the fact that Jesus was born in a stable, probably a cave, couldn't even manage to get a decent place for his birth. Um, the announcement to the shepherds, why them? Why not King Herod? Why not Caesar in Rome? It's telling us something about the heart of God and the way God operates. The shepherds were the lowliest of the low in that society. They had no social standing at all. They were humble people. They were lowly people. And it's to those people that 
God spoke, the angel spoke the message of Jesus' birth. When Jesus grew up, he said, the Bible says, quoting him, that he had no place to lay his head. He had no home. What would that be like, not having a home? <laughs> and he, he depended on the giving of other people to, to, to sustain his ministry, and he still does. But you see, God celebrates this humility, this lowliness, this poverty of spirit when we can recognize it. And he came to those people because those people would be, to some degree, receptive to him. Something that the rich sometimes struggle with, as Jesus said in the story of the, uh, of the uh, rich young ruler, is sometimes it's hard for the rich, the wealthy, to get into the kingdom of God. So much so, it's hard. It's like getting a camel through the eye of a needle. It's tough for them because it's hard for them to embrace poverty and to recognize it, to accept it before God. And I want to tell you, my friends, if nothing else, we, need to, we desperately need to become poor in our own eyes as we celebrate Christmas. We've got to recognize our incredible need of what Jesus would bring to us and the riches that he would provide to us. But the message was for the poor, the poor in spirit, the humble, the lowly. <clears throat> what does Jesus say? He said he came to proclaim freedom for prisoners. Now, primarily what that means is freedom to people who were not free from the power of sin in their lives. You know? Um, people who were under its control, people under its power. Romans 7, 22, Apostle Paul writing says this, for in my, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Oh, I want to do what's right and good. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. <laughs> That's our natural condition. We're born into that. Sin controls us. It captures us. It controls us. Jesus said, I came to proclaim freedom for those who are imprisoned in that way. Then he says, he, he, he promises recovery of sight for the blind. You know, last week we did talk about this, that the devil blinds the minds of unbelievers. It keeps them from seeing and believing in God. Jesus came so our eyes could be open to see and understand the things of God, even to see and understand what God was doing in Christ the day he was born. Ephesians 1, 17 to 19. Love these verses, by the way. It says, I keep asking God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and listen, uh, and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, and note the word light in there for me, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and in his incom incomparably great power for us who believe. Um, you see, it's the work of God to open our eyes. It's the work of the Spirit of God to let us see, to give us revelation, to give us light so that we can capture the reality of who God is and what he has done, especially in Christ. Again, think of the Christmas story. So much emphasis is given to light and to revelation. Think of Joseph and Mary, those young people who would parent Jesus. You know, the angel came to Joseph and said, no, I want to enlighten you. I want to give you a revelation about what's going on. So actually, he would then go and marry, uh, marry in time. He, you know, the Holy Spirit of God came to Mary and said, here's what I want you to do. He gave revelation to her mind. He opened her eyes to see and understand the work of God in that incredible day. You know, think about the shepherds. Oh, the shepherds. Luke 2, 8 and 9 says this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. What's the glory of the Lord? It's brilliant light. No wonder they were terrified. Think of the wise man who saw a star shining in the sky, a new star, uh, at which led them to the person of Jesus. But that, that light which enabled them to find him and worship him. Jesus later called himself the light of the world, the one who came into this world to, to, to put an end to the darkness that had taken hold of it. And in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus quoted the same Isaiah in chapter 9, people walking in darkness have seen a great light. You know, in those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The prophet was speaking of Christ coming. You see, Jesus came into this world. It's like he to, to, to turn on a switch, to, to, to turn on the light in people's minds so that they can see and understand and believe. And it says he came, he says he came to give release to the oppressed. What's oppression? Well, essentially, it's the exercise of power and authority in a, in a heavy, burdensome, cruel, and unjust manner. Think of these Israelites. They are oppressed by Rome. It was an incredible power. Lasted some 600 years, dominating the whole world. But it was destructive and it was cruel. And the Jewish people felt that the anointed one would come, the Messiah would come and free them from this political oppression. But that's not what Jesus was about. He wouldn't let his people take up arms and fight. What Jesus was about was freeing, releasing people from a different oppressor, the, the oppression of evil, the oppression of the devil. And of course, we've talked about how last week how he came to defeat and destroy that oppressor. And then this to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I love this stuff. This is so cool. Let me take a minute to explain it to you. This is a direct reference to what's called the year of Jubilee. You can read all about it in, in Leviticus 25 if you want. But it was a very cool way that God, when Israel was being formed and the law was being given in order to do that very thing, where God organized society in the way of his choosing. What happened was that every seven years there would be a sabbatical year. And in an agrarian society, the, the, the instruction was in that seventh year, don't plant any crops, let the land rest. And they would. And, and what Leviticus 25 will tell you if you read it is that they would be allowed to eat the crop that the land produced without cultivation. Essentially, they would put themselves in a place of resting themselves and be dependent on God to provide for them. That's what the Sabbath is supposed to do every single week, by the way. But this was a whole year of resting. And after seven sabbatical years, 49 years would pass, seven times seven, on the 50th year, the year of Jubilee would be uh, proclaimed. And if you would, it was a year where rebalancing took place. Uh, if you had debt, no matter what the description, no matter the size of that debt, your debt would be canceled. Wouldn't that be cool? Mortgages just go away, lines of credit disappear. <laughs> Especially the poor would celebrate that. Um, if you were a slave, you would be set free. And this slavery was indentured slavery. It's not like in the deep south of the United States and other, other places such as still exist today where people are literally, literally owned for life by another human being. This was almost like the welfare network of the day where people who were really unable to provide for themselves and their family, they would sell themselves into slavery for a time. And if they were able, they would save up enough money to buy their own freedom back or the year of Jubilee would come when they would walk free, no longer slaves. 
If you had land at the beginning of this 50-year period and you had sold it, guess what? At the year of Jubilee, you got it back again. Not bad, huh? And, and, and God comes along and he puts this in place. And Jesus gives reference to this. And he said, this, is an, this, this, this incredible year that happened every 50 years, in my coming, guess what? This experience of grace and, and, a, and a, of good news for the poor, in my coming, Jesus says, the grace of God in this fashion is going to be poured out upon the world for those who will believe in it and believe in me and receive it. You know, if... You're in debt to God because of your sin. That debt will be canceled by my death. If you're a slave to the power of sin, you're going to be set free. It won't have its ho a hold on you like it once had. If you find yourself in spiritual poverty, hey, God has riches to pour into your life, riches of grace and of mercy and of joy and of peace as you become a son or a daughter of God. See, Jesus was saying, in me, a new day has come. And that's how we're going to operate in the kingdom of God. Oh, that's good news for people. That's still incredibly good news. I want to read to you the words of the angels furthering what we just read from Luke chapter 2 to 14. It says this. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Remember the glorious light, the stunning magnificence of what those people saw I bring you guess what good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David a savior has been born to you he is the Messiah the anointed one the Lord this will be a sign to you you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those, listen, on whom his favor rests. You see, the year of Jubilee and the coming of Jesus was a time when the favor of God would be poured out in abundance upon God's people. And I want to tell you, if you've never grasped the significance of this good news, grasp it today, because this is good news for you if you will receive it. This good news can and will, and I know in many instances, has changed lives. And it's this we get to live in. This is our reality. But I want you to take a moment with all the greatness of this news. You know, people set free from the power of sin, no longer prisoners. People who are spiritually able to see and understand the oppression of evil over, the grace of God coming, the favor of God coming to save and to bless. All of that. Think about this through one person. Have you ever, have you ever stopped to think about it? through the coming of one infant in Bethlehem, the world changed. That's what Jesus was saying here as an adult. In my coming, everything is made new. The world is, change, is changing and has changed because I am here. One person making an incredible difference in the lives of God's people. Why? because only one person could accomplish this. And that person being the second person of the eternal trinity of God, the Son of God. Only Jesus could bring it and enact it in this world of ours. Only he could pay our debt, that debt to God because of sin. And he did it on the cross because he had no debt to pay. Only Jesus only Jesus could open the eyes of people by the work of his Holy Spirit in us, which came after his ascension to heaven. 
Only he could defeat the power of evil because only he had the power to do so. Only he could set the prisoners free from that evil power. Why? Because of one person coming. That person being God in the flesh. The incarnation, God in the flesh, bringing us a new day for those of us who would believe. Do you believe? Have these things happened in you? Have you been set free from the power of sin? No longer its prisoners? You know, the fact is that we are free, but sometimes we live as, we're still pri- as if we're still prisoners. And we've got to learn how to move through that and mature in faith and find healing in the br- uh, of the brokenness in our souls and to be restored so that we can live free. But you are free if you're in him. And if you're not, it's a step that you can take. Have you come to see and understand? Has the Spirit of God opened your eyes, the Spirit of Christ, to let you see and understand and believe? Have you come to that place, my friends, where the oppression is over? That power which seeks to destroy your life is lifted as you follow the Lord Jesus. Have you come to this place in your experience of God where you've entered into that favor of God, that incredible grace of God, where we don't live and experience what we deserve. We live because of the grace of God that is poured upon us. That ought to be your life. That is your life. That's intended to be your life if you're in him. And if you're not in Christ, if you haven't come to that place of faith, it can be. Let me bring two really strong applications from this text to us. The first comes from uh, verse 22 in chapter uh, 4. Remember, Jesus is at home. He grew up in Nazareth. And this was the experience of the people there after he preached in the way that I've described. After he told the people this incredible news, all spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words, the gracious words that came from his lips. That's kind of like, this is good news. That's cool. I'm happy. They were thrilled. And their statement was, isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Isn't this Joseph's son? You see, people encountered Christ that day in that synagogue. We don't know how many people were there, but they heard and they liked it and they looked at him and said, Joseph's son? But in that day, I want to tell you, they couldn't see who he really was. It's like they missed him. Who was in that synagogue gathering with them that day? Not Joseph's son. God's son. The eternal second person of the Trinity. They looked at Jesus and saw Joseph's son, Joseph's boy, and they were kind of like, wow. But they had no idea that they were standing in the presence of God. Talk about being spiritually blind. (laughs) Talk about not having a clue about the things of God. You know what happens at Christmas, uh, my friends? A lot of people see Jesus, but they don't really see him. In this culture of ours, you know, probably a lot of people see the manger scenes with the baby and 
maybe some have some knowledge of it, probably some have no knowledge of it, but those who even recognize that a child was born, so often they don't see him. Oh, a good man, a good example for us to follow, a man who loved God more than any other. But they don't see the reality of who Jesus was and who Jesus is. They don't see him as God among us, Emmanuel, God with us. They miss him. right over their heads. But you know what? Sometimes we do too. You ever miss Jesus at Christmas? I want to tell you, if if Christmas for you is all about fun and family and friends or whatever I said before, (laughs) fantastic gifts, you can be so diverted from the reality of the one who is with us that you don't even see who he is. And if your intention is fun and family and oh what did I say friends I don't know what I said food oh can't forget the food if that's your intention you're going to be focused on cleaning and cooking and baking and buying and wrapping and traveling you could miss them like literally you could busy season lots of fun no Jesus But I want to tell you, my friends, we we move toward a day when we have the opportunity in worship now, next Sunday, Christmas Eve, when we get to recognize that the one in whose presence we sit and stand is the eternal Son of God. And you know what our experience of Christmas will be in that moment? It'll be an experience of utter awe and worship. Worship. Because God has come among us the God who brings and who enacts incredible news in our lives, who sets us free as prisoners, who gives us sight, who lifts the oppression, who brings the year of the Lord's favor upon us. Don't miss Jesus this year. Don't miss him. The other point of application that I want to bring is this. Um, You know, after this great experience these folks have with Jesus, oh, isn't he wonderful? What great words, this son of Joseph. They get so angry at Jesus, they literally try to kill him. It's like they turn like that. They become absolutely furious with him because of what he is about to say. And I'm going to read that to you. Luke 4, 24 to 30 says this. Truly I tell you, Jesus speaking... Or he continued. <laughs> Jesus is speaking. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his, home, in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but a woman in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. There were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Sometimes I read that, and I kind of feel good, because when you're unhappy with me, I'm not on my own, right? Like, I mean, uh, sometimes even the best preacher in the world makes people angry (laughs) because of what's said. But listen to me. 
what's going on in this instance is that Jesus is essentially telling these Jewish people, this incredibly good news is not just for Israel. He said when the great prophet Elijah ministered, and they would know all these stories that he referenced, he said there were tons of widows in the day, but Elijah didn't go to an Israelite woman. She went to, he went to a, a widow in Sidon, a non-Jewish person, and blessed her, you know, the oil that didn't run dry. And he said in the time of the great prophet Elisha, which, who followed Elijah, there were lots of lepers who needed healing, but Elisha didn't go to any of the people of Israel who had leprosy. He went to a Syrian named Nam and healed him. <laughs> and you see, these people hear this, and it just goes against every grain in their body, if you would. <laughs> they get incredibly angry at Jesus because their understanding was, their, their belief was that the gospel, the good news, was for them and not for anybody else. They felt no, no need to tell other people. You know, they were really content in the knowledge that God loved them and, excuse me, but to hell with everybody else in the world, literally. Just realized that might have made somebody mad. Here's the application, my friends. Where are we at with this? I want you to look in your heart as I say these things over the next few minutes. But are you content to know the gospel? Just keep it to ourselves. In your heart of hearts, is that okay? Is that so normal that you wouldn't even think of taking the gospel, the good news, this incredible good news to people who are beyond the family of God, the people of God? I want to tell you, that can never become us. That can never be us. Because our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, came and he said, this good news, this incredibly good news, this, this freeing of prisoners and this sight for the blind and lifting of the oppression and the year of the Lord's favor, it's not just for us. It's for everybody. It was a stunning message to the people of Jesus' day of the Jewish faith. They couldn't comprehend it. And it made them so angry, they wanted to kill him. Let me put it to you this way. Every single one of us knows people, and I would suggest to you numerous people who have known no knowledge of the good news. Every single one of us. No concept in this culture of ours. And putting it a different way, we know people who are still living as prisoners to evil. We know people who still haven't had their eyes open. They're blind to the things of God. We know people who are living under the oppression of evil. You okay with that? We know people who have not yet come into the favor of God and an abundance of grace being poured into their lives. Forgiveness and sonship and daughtership and life in Christ and the spirit of God empowering them to live in a new way on and on and on and on I want to tell you my friends we can't be okay with that we can't and the absolute minimum that we can do is to be praying for people that they might find Christ even through us and looking for those opportunities just to love in the name of Jesus 
and to share the good news that Jesus, quite frankly, told us to share. Now, earlier in our service, and last week also, and probably the week before, I said, you know, invitations for folks to come to our Christmas Eve service. I'm talking, to, I'm talking about your heart. What happened when I mentioned that in your heart? Erin who typed up the uh, announcements and she said tell everybody to bring five take five home and bring five people good for her but what happened in your heart when I announced that here's, here's what happened in the hearts of some people you ready I'll be here I love the grace of God in my life I love the fact that I've been set free. I'm no longer a prisoner. I love that my eyes have been opened and I can see. I love the fact that I'm living beyond the oppression of evil. It's cruel, punishing reality. I love that the favor of God has flowed into my life in huge measure. But other people? Eh. Jesus said to go in all the world and preach the gospel and to baptize and to teach the things he taught. Jesus said it is his passion that his people become like him, the body of Christ follow along after him, and that they have as a priority in their lives, can I put it this way, bringing people to our Christmas Eve services. I'm not trying to fill our building. It's going to be full anyway. I'm talking about your heart. Well, I suppose I am talking about bringing people, but you know what I'm saying, right? Is it, is it a passion of yours as it was a passion of Jesus? that the gospel message is incredibly good news goes beyond those who are currently the people of God so that others can find the favor of God too. See, last week we spoke about, and the focus was, uh, how Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. And the reality is the work of the devil in us and others, this world of ours. But I focused the discussion on us. You know what this week's about? Oh, Jesus came to bring incredibly good news and life transformation to the whole world and our role in it. So, the lesson for today, my friends, number one, don't miss Jesus. Don't miss him. If you need to receive him into your life, if you need to ask him to forgive your sin so that you have relationship with him and with his father, do that, please. But if you're already there, worship him this year with all of your heart. And secondly, my friends, let's develop the passion in our hearts for reaching out with his good news that Jesus had. A deep, abiding passion that drives us to our knees so that we pray for people that they might come to know Christ through me and you, us. See, Jesus came a long, long time ago to be the savior of the world. We've read it today. To take people from one category to the next. In the Colossians, the Apostle Paul says, from the domain of darkness, I believe, into the kingdom of his son, God's son, whom God loves. That's what Christmas is about. That's why he came. That everybody might live, not only know this good news, but live it in the grace of God. My friends, let's celebrate and worship Jesus, but let's take up the mantle that he has given to us. Let's with passion and with enthusiasm and with great joy, as the shepherds once did, tell the world that Christ has come. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what you did uh, in that synagogue so long ago, we recognize now as powerful.
And our prayer, having looked at it and studied it and thought a lot about it, Lord, our prayer today is for any person who might be here who has not yet entered into that new reality that you came to provide. Freedom from the power of sin, forgiveness through a relationship with you. Eyes open to see and understand. No more oppression because of the power and destructive power of evil. Lord, living in grace. God, we pray together. Lord, if anyone here today doesn't know that reality, that they will take that step in, into faith in you, and into that reality of life. God, we don't want to miss Christmas. Like, we really don't want to miss you, Jesus. And we pray that we will intend, first and foremost, to notice and to worship as we have fun with family and friends and with good food and fantastic gifts. Don't let us miss you, Lord Jesus. And God, we pray that as Jesus had a passion in his heart for the whole world to see and to know who he was and what he came to do, God, fill this church with people who have a passion in their hearts for sharing the reality of Christ and what a relationship with him, faith in him means to those and for those who don't yet know him. God, this Christmas, even as we invite to a Christmas Eve service, even as we, you know, just engage this reality, we pray that people will come to know you who didn't know you before, see you, see what they couldn't see before, be released from that which held them prisoner, enter into the grace of God. God, do that through us, we pray. Make us like Jesus more and more. Do, Lord Jesus, in the lives of others what you have done in our lives. Do, Lord Jesus, what you came to do as a baby in Bethlehem. Glorify yourself, Lord. Work among us as Savior. And this we pray in Jesus' name.